Hey, fintech friends. Hey fintech friends, my name is Helen Femi Williams and I'm your host of the Hey Fintech Friends podcast brought to you by This Week in Fintech. So let's talk about the structure of this podcast. First, we're going to go through the news. And if you subscribe to the This Week in Fintech newsletter, well, you're in luck because this is the audio version. Secondly, we'll go through the Fintechionary. Then we're going to have a chat with this week's friend Desi, go through the latest signals, articles and events. But first, the Fintechionary. Okay, so this week's Fintechionary is contagion. It's not something that me and this week's guest Desi talk about, but I think it's quite relevant to the wider ecosystem, don't you think? So according to Investopia, contagion is the spread of an economic crisis from one market or region to another and can occur at both domestic or international level. Contagion can occur because many of the same goods and services, especially labour and capital goods, can be used across many different markets and because virtually all markets are connected through monetary and financial systems. The real and nominal interconnections of markets can act as a buffer for the economy against shocks, or as a mechanism to propagate and even magnify shocks. The latter case is typically what economics and other commenters refer to as contagion, with a negative connotation likening the effect to the spread of a disease. That's this week's Fintechionary. This week in Fintech. Okay, the news. In product launches, the Royal Bank of Canada rolled out SwiftGo, enabling businesses to send real-time, low-value cross-border payments. In other news, Visa is providing pay-by-face technology and animated virtual credit cards to celebrate this year's World Cup, while Italy's Seller Group is piloting a biometric recognition credit card that allows people to make payments using fingerprints. Experian was tapped to run Singapore's Buy Now, Pay Later credit bureau, whilst the Bank of Japan, meanwhile, is partnering with top Japanese banks to launch a digital yen next year. Goldman Sachs paid a $4 million fine for mislabeling ESG products, and Klarna launched an open banking product to let startups access open banking services and partnered with 15,000 partner banks. Pan-African payments firm Flutterwave launched N-Mobile, a remittance payment app for the diaspora. B2B payment app Balance launched a Shopify integration to let merchants add self-service B2B payments. And Nomi Health launched a real-time healthcare payment app. Remittance provider Wise issued a plastic substitute eco-car. Bump partnered with Mastercards and Hino to launch the Bump Creator Card for creators, which along with routine benefits like no monthly fees or credit checks, takes Web3 assets into account. Again, in other news, Pipe, the busy revenue-based financing marketplace for software businesses, announced that leadership team is stepping down as the company looks for a successor. Meanwhile, Coinbase Wallet released a new safety feature informing users of what the impact of their balances will be when they make a transaction to prevent currency scams, whilst Uniswap overtook Coinbase as the second largest exchange trading Ethereum after only Binance. Binance, for its part, started a recovery fund for exchanges with distressed assets, whilst digital currency firm Genesis is shuttering entirely. Elsewhere in stablecoins, 
You can now pay with USDC via Apple Pay and Cardano's regulated stablecoin USDA is planned to hit the market next year. UK as a service provider Griffin moved its sandbox out of beta and the US Barrow Bank became the first neobank to join the Zelle Payments Network. Payments provider MoneyGram partnered with Bahrain Super at Beyond on real-time payments. Google is removing all unlicensed Nigerian lending apps from the Play Store by January. Fintech partner bank Evolve restressed to customers that deposits are safe regardless of its FTX relationship. Revolut hit 25 million customers, whilst fintech banking app Dave wants you to know it's not bankrupt. Swedish neobank Juni laid half of their staff, and Indonesia's go-to group laid off 12% of all its staff. And lastly, recently launched accessible credit app Navira Money is now shutting down. That's this week in fintech. Adeze, also known as Desi, is the CEO and co-founder of Aku, a payment-led digital bank in Lagos, Nigeria. Aku serves over 70,000 micro-merchants and is on a mission to build wealth at the base of the pyramid. Prior to co-founding Aku, Desi worked for Econet Group, where she spearheaded their pan-African payment strategy, integrating payments across 18 African markets. Before leaving the Econet Group, she oversaw product development, commercial strategy, and operations at Sasai Fintech, Econet's fintech subsidiary. As Chief Operating Officer, she was responsible for the development and launch of the Sasai Social Payments Platform. Desi has a bachelor degree from Yale and an MBA from Harvard Business School. Hope you enjoy our friendly chat. Okay, first of all, I want to say happy birthday to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> I feel very honoured that you would spend your birthday talking to me about fintech on the podcast. Like, that's amazing. That really shows your commitment and your dedication to to the industry. Absolutely. I'm very happy to be here. We're very happy to have you. And I think the best place to start is just to know a little bit about you. Like, who are you? Where are you from? What is your story? What is What is your story? Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, my name is Desi. I am co-founder of Aku, a Nigeria-based payments-led digital bank. And in terms of my story and how I got here, it's a very, very um, convoluted story, but I'm from South London. I'm Nigerian, actually Nigerian, but raised in South London. So I was raised in Croydon. I went to live in the UK up until I was 18 and then went to university in the US. Did university in the US after graduating and moved to South Africa. And I worked with a company called the Econet Group and spent almost seven years there doing fintech before fintech was sexy. Um, and the, the fintech I was doing was very unsexy fintech. It was mobile money. I was hired by the the chairman and founder of the Econet Group, who's a gentleman called Ashtrad Masiwa. He's fantastic. And as a mentor, he used to make me do very uncomfortable things. He used to say, very important for you to get sand in your boots. And he would ship me off to Zimbabwe for months. And I would just like sit in Zimbabwe, like in, in like, <laughs> like, um, informal retailers learning how, you know, people can use mobile money as MSMEs, um, how to scale mobile money, how to scale agent networks. 
and that was really my my foundation. I spent the early part of my career in South Africa and Zimbabwe, um, really learning the inner workings of mobile money payments in Africa. And I rose through the ranks and became CEO of their social payments business. I did that for a while um, and then met my co-founder. Um, actually, I met my co-founder on Tinder. Um, but <laughs> But he wasn't, he was actually just trying to start a business, convincing me to move back to Nigeria to do this um, payment startup with him and not trying to date. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I'd like listened to him for three years. He would like frequently call me, pitch me this idea. And I just, I was, I was, I was being challenged. I really enjoyed the work that I was doing. And, and I, I always wanted to move back to Nigeria, but I, I was very happy where I was and I was growing. Um, but then uh, I got to a point in my career where I decided to go to business school. So I, I, when I got into business school, I applied with the rounds, I applied round one. And so I got in pretty early and I had a lot of time between, um, almost a year between the time when I would start business school and the time when I got in, I decided that was a really perfect window to do something a bit more risky. And so I I quit my job and moved back to Lagos and I decided to do this wild thing with this crazy guy that I met on Tinder. And it kind of, we spent that, as soon as I got back to Lagos, um, we found ourselves in the office of the central bank of the governor of the central bank of Nigeria. And we pitched him a software solution and he said, fantastic. So he said, fantastic, solve my problems. And that was kind of, that was it. And it was literally me, him, and one person that we had hired who was a lawyer. Her name is Bisela. She's fantastic. She's still with us. And we didn't have a single engineer. <laughs> we didn't have anyone. And we, and we started that way and we built out a dev shop and we did that for a couple of years whilst I was in business school. Um, and then in 2021, we, we shut everything down and decided that we were going to focus on building a bank. And that's what we did. We applied for a banking license in May of 2021. And we got our final approval in May of this year. So that's how, that's how I got here. Um, and it's, it's not, I guess, far from glamorous, but it's been, it's been, it's been good. It's been, it's been challenging. It's been interesting. It's, it's been, it's been a very, very edifying experience, I would say. Oh my God. I think that might be the best kind of founder origin story that I've ever heard. Met on Tinder. Did you guys at least go on a date? No, no. So we met on Tinder and then he, he was working for a, a big technology company um, with a regional role across Africa. So he had come to Johannesburg um, and we and had swiped me whilst he was in Johannesburg. And then I wasn't on Tinder at that time. And then I remember it was literally the day before my birthday. I was like, oh, 
I'm, it's my birthday and I'm single. So I just quickly went on Tinder and I swiped him. But by the time I swiped him, he was not in, he was no longer in South Africa. And so we just started talking on the phone and it was like business. <laughs> it was business. But plot, plot twist. Ended up getting married in, I know, I know. We ended up getting married during the Panasonic, during the pandemic in 2020. In October 2020, we got married like, Oh. Very, very random. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So one of my co-founders is my husband. Wait. <laughs> Let's switch. I'm I'm trying to keep up. I'm trying to keep up. You didn't get married to your co-founder, no. but one of your co-founders is your husband. No, I got married to my co-founder. The one that I met on Tinder. Oh, you did? I did, yeah. What? Crazy. Oh my god! And then my other co-founder. This is the story's just got way better. <laughs> this is incredible. So you met on. Oh my gosh! Wow. I don't know how Tinder is not sponsoring Akush. Like sh- I think they should. that should be your next sponsor. <laughs> they very much should. Not only did was that was not only did you guys get married, but you also started a bank, a, a whole bank together. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> I have never heard anything like no, this. Crazy. And then our other co-founder is um, a longtime friend of mine. We were friends. Um, we were friends whilst we were in South Africa together. Um, he was working. He's a, so- a senior software engineer who's working for another of the big tech companies in um, in Johannesburg. And then we have been friends. By the time he joined us, we'd been friends for like almost ten years. So it's just like it's 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 a, it's a solid partnership. So I'm I'm very very fortunate. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah definitely and actually to talk about that you know I mean like it, it is it is great to speak to someone from Nigeria but I'm I'm thinking about like I mean I don't go to Nigeria that often but I'm just thinking about like as someone when I was younger or even when the last time I went was probably about four or five years ago navigating just the system itself is like uh, is, is mental and <laughs> I can't even remember how I navigated money and the money looks so old anyway. The money is like a hundred years old or something. Um, so I guess like I guess I kind of have a question around that. Like, how did you navigate creating a bank in a country which I know from you know even personal you know stories can be quite a difficult place to navigate? You need to know so much just to even work out what's going on, and sometimes things aren't going on, and you're just running with it. You just have to go with it. So yeah, like how did you do that? Or are you still doing it? <laughs> I'm definitely still doing it. There's so many things that are um, that are confounding to me every day about um, about the experience of the everyday Nigerian, um, the things that make life difficult, the things that ought to make life easier but don't necessarily. Yesterday we had we had training for. So the way our business works is we have field agents who go out into the markets and open bank accounts to their agents. They call them onboarding or registration agents. Just understanding things that I, I, I knew but didn't know the extent of. So literacy, yeah, literacy is a big, a big issue in this market. And I know that I... I was supposed to prepare a hot take or that was... This is the thing that I actually wanted to um to share i i, I think yeah, a lot of what we've been told in nigeria was about 
about why in other African markets, mobile money financial inclusion rates are actually much higher than they are in Nigeria. In a market like Kenya, M-Pesa is huge. In Zimbabwe, you have EcoCash. Even in a country like Ghana, which is you know, just next door or close, you have MTN Momo. And those mobile money solutions have caused financial inclusion rates to grow astronomically. In Nigeria, we haven't really had that level of success. And many people think that the reason for that is because of regulation. Previously, the telcos were not allowed to participate in mobile money or financial services at all. That's since changed. Earlier this year, all the telcos were giving uh, were given licenses to offer mobile money solutions, um, and nothing much has changed. And if I were to offer a hot take, I would re- I would say that the biggest barrier to financial inclusion and to tech adoption in Nigeria is not regulation, but is actually in fact literacy. Literacy, our official literacy rate is around 60%, but on the ground, you will find that it's actually much, much lower than that. And so in terms of how we approach product development, that's always something that's top of mind for us. How do we serve a people for whom literacy poses a challenge? Huge. But then to your point, like yesterday I was in, in this training session and I realized that even for the people who are supposed to be, you know, more tech savvy, who are supposed to be the people who are creating accounts for people using smartphones, it's, it's still an issue. It's still an issue for a lot of Nigerians. And so in addition to just being like a very, very crazy place to navigate in terms of Lagos is crazy, this like super congested, so many people, everybody's hustling. There are also just like certain like fundamental things that make doing tech here on a on like a mass level very challenging things that people take for granted being able to read menu options being able to navigate your way through a smartphone or a registration process cannot be taken for granted in our market and it it, it creates a the need to be very very creative and empathetic in product development and problem solving so yeah it's been a, it's been wild, but good. No, I can imagine. And like when I think of that, it, it's funny with literacy or like language. I always find like language specifically in Nigeria is so interesting because English is officially the official language, but the reality is like on the ground. I mean, if you want to call that English, sure. <laughs> if you want to call pigeon English, sure, like you can. But you know, no one's speaking English the way like you know. English is in the Oxford Dictionary language. If you're looking to serve a population that are speaking, yeah, Nigeria, we have like over 350 different languages, right? Yeah, exactly. But you do have to get down to that um, vernacular level. So we do English, we do Pidgin, we do Alsa, Yoruba. Um, we're big in... Um, you know, Kwaibom is one of our big markets. No, Ibo as well, of course, Ibo as well. Um, but in Kwaibom is one of our big markets. So, um, like, we have people who speak in local languages there. Um, and, you ha- like, you you absolutely have to. And that also, to your point, just adds another layer of complexity. Yeah, so it's funny. It's like, it's like it's hard to kind of look at literacy because there are, like, over 300 languages spoken and are still spoken because it's like, I mean, I don't even necessarily, like, I honestly don't even know if they're all, like, if all of them are written languages or if some are just oral, because, you know, like, 
historically that's kind of how they were created and so it must be quite challenging trying to kind of navigate you've got you've got English you've got pidgin then you've got like the main you know you've got the languages that the majority of the population speak and then you've got a lot of like other languages that other people speak and then there's dialect and region and stuff like that so I guess then how do you sort of like if we if we were to look at like Aku in like 10 15 years time like how do you kind of see that kind of onboarding process or getting people into the fintech financial revolution in such a complex country so one thing i think for us from an onboarding perspective the human element is critical still right which is unfortunate when you think about tech because you really want tech to like scale by itself but for us because of the barrier of literacy we do need human beings to assist at least in the onboarding process and then we can scale after that to some degree so i i until we have this fundamental shift, it's really interesting because if you look at Nigeria, the fintech businesses that are really successful, that are super lucrative, are businesses that, I don't know if I'm able to say names, but businesses that um, that basically offer a form of assisted, assisted transactions, right? Asian banking businesses. And what those businesses do is they have human beings who facilitate cash in, cash outs, who do bank transfers on behalf of users, who pay bills on behalf of users. In a market like Kenya, that, that kind of a business is kind of unheard of, right? Because everybody has a, smart, a phone, a feature phone or a smartphone, and everybody initiates their transactions autonomously on their devices. First in Nigeria, until we fix the, the structural problem of, of education, we're not going to be able to eradicate the human touch, at least an onboarding point, until we get to the level of a Kenya that has an 80% literacy rate, or a Zimbabwe that has an over 90% literacy rate, or even a Ghana that has also a literacy rate of 80%. Nigeria is just not any of those countries. But I also, I mean, for us, we absolutely have Pan-African ambitions. And so I think for me, having worked, and I worked in Zimbabwe, I also oversaw product development for Burundi, Lesotho. And I think something that I, I understand very clearly is that there's nothing like homogeneity in Africa, like no two countries are the same. And that's very helpful. It's helped, it's helped us in how we think about product in Nigeria. And I, I hope that it will also help us as we look to expand into other countries in the future. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like no country is the same, but even within one country, it's so, um, it's, it's not homogenous even within the country. So you have to be, you have to customize everything you're doing, um, so specifically. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm going to kind of like ask you some questions a, a little bit more about Desi um, and uh, things you've done. I'm actually going to ask you questions that our previous guests have put up. Um, so there are a lot here. So I'll just ask, um, I don't know, which one should I ask? Um, what was kind of like your oh shit moment in your career? Um, so you can take that either way. Some people take it as like, what was this eureka moment where you were like, this is the thing that I want to start. This is what I want to do. The problem that I will solve. Um, or you can take it as a time in which you messed up and then you were like, oh shit. And it was like huge. And then you had to go back. I'll let you decide how you want to take the question. I think I had, I had two oh shit moments. I had one oh shit moment when I was um, working at the Econet Group. 
Um, and I had one doing startup stuff. And I, so that when, when I was, when I was working, I, I fell into fintech. I didn't, it was nothing intentional. I wasn't a grad scheme. It was rotational. I did, I was working at a telco and somehow found my way in fintech. I'm just kind of like, oh, okay. At the time, I'm, I don't want to date myself, but that was like 2012. And like, it wasn't, um, it wasn't really like an aspirational thing at the time. I don't even know if the, the, the term fintech had fully, had fully, um, proliferated at, the, at, at that time, but I fell into it and I, I just kept, I was really interested. I just kept growing. And there was a day when I was running something, a, a payment gateway product, it was a Pan-African payment gateway product. And we it didn't have a product owner. And somehow I fell into, I fell into this work. And as I was rolling out, I needed to, I had this mammoth task of onboarding payments, um, payment partners onto the gateway across 18 African markets. I felt like a, a task that was, that was impossible. I think impossible for the team that we had at the time working with a very small team. And somehow, I think just out of like sheer zeal and just like passion for this payments thing, I was able to do it in a really short amount of time. And I think my team, I think my team were also surprised that how quickly I was able to mobilize all of these partners, like big partners, like M-Pesa, big banks across the continent, other telcos. I was like very effectively able to negotiate deals. And at some point when people were like, really like, you did all of that in such a short amount of time. I, I was like, oh shit, like, I really like this. So all along I had been doing this fintech thing because I'd fallen into it. But at some point I realized like I really actually love this space. And you were good at it. You managed to onboard everyone so quickly. Yeah, and, and, I, was, and I was having the time of my life, actually, to be honest. I was having a fantastic time. And, and so I was like, okay, I love this. And then... The second oh shit moment I had was when I I'd gone to a I'd gone to an event and I like I'm very I'm actually a very private, very introverted founder. So like coming out of myself and my shell is something that I'm increasingly doing. Interestingly, I'm not a I'm not actually an introverted person. I'm just an introverted founder. I'm actually a big extrovert. That's interesting. Why do you think that is? I think um, I've been told that part of this is that agenda thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not really interested in productizing myself, you know, or like making myself a personal brand, like a brand. I'm not really interested in being a brand personally, but I'm just aware that like in the space that we're in as founders, oftentimes you just kind of, kind of it's almost like expected and so increasingly I I'm trying I don't know I was at this like workshop a couple of weeks ago and it, to be honest it, it seems all very obvious but it was like I just you know when you actually think about it and you're like oh this is actually very true and they it was a google like I am remarkable workshop so it was like about women and they were saying like the way women talk about their careers for instance they'll always be like well I fell into it and then this this happened then this happened like it's never like I intentionally I set out to do this. It's always like, oh, you know, it was a group effort. Like, and even within our conversation, when you asked me about what I did, I was sort of like, oh yeah, I like, I literally did what I said 
Like, and I recognized it. Yeah, it's never like conscious. It's never like, yeah, I did this thing because you want to seem, you want to make it seem like it was a group effort and like you aren't that remarkable in like what you did. And and I think it goes the same with like you you talking about like the things that you do at IQ and stuff. Like you're like, I sit behind this brand because that's kind of how we're trained to think. And we don't want to seem like we're bragging, but then equally it's like, if you brag, like, who dies? Do you know what I mean? Like you should just say how That's you feel. True. About it. That's actually true. And I also have done it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm growing into that. I almost, I, the more I have conversations with my team, um, they're like, listen, you're doing us a disservice <laughs> by not putting yourself out there. And so I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm trying. But, um, but yeah, the, the oh shit moment that I had was I'd gone to an event. And there was a, it was, it was not a startup event. It was an um, alumni event from my business school. And I met, I met a woman who was a, um, who was an investor. And I like, cause I'm like, not that person. I, I won't immediately launch into a pitch when I see an investor because it's not really my, it's not really my, my vibe. And so she asked me, what do you do? And I said, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm a startup founder. And then she said, um, she said, oh, really? I'm not currently, I'm not currently actively investing. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I, I wasn't going to pitch, so I was, I didn't feel bad. But then she was like, well, but what do you do? And I told her, and then I showed her a product and I, and then she was like, oh, I would like to invest in that. Oh, have you, why didn't you? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I just, you know, I just met you. And she was like, I, I would like to invest in that. And that was like early on. And what was interesting about that was there were different kinds of investors, but like, this is somebody who one initially told me that we're not actively investing. I guess maybe, maybe they weren't, maybe they were. Um, but also somebody like on the ground who understands the space here in Lagos who found it so compelling after seeing, seeing a demo, seeing the product. And I was like, like somebody who told me they were not interested is now telling me very, very um, passionately how interested they are. And I wasn't even pitching. For me, it was like, oh shit, like, like we're doing something. We're doing something right here. And so from an entrepreneurial journey perspective, that was like a, that was a big moment for me. It was something small, right? Um, obviously we've done fundraising and just there's been like big wins, but like startup life is like, kind of the ghetto like so so hard and the small things like that um are just like reminders that you need on the journey that you're you're actually doing something that makes sense um and and so that was that was also a, a very very big but small oh shit moment for me no I love that because it wasn't like it just it just happened so seamlessly and someone basically saying like yeah we can see the need for the product there you go and it, you know what I mean? You weren't like pitching. So that makes a lot of sense. That's cool. <laughs> um, and yeah, and, and it's not like you didn't put in the work to do that. It's just like you naturally kind of got it across without essentially being like, this is our stats and this is what we're creating. I'm, I'm still learning how to be that founder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're in, we're in, we're having a session right now. This is the workshop. <laughs> Okay, another question I have. This is a question that I asked the previous guest who just came on the podcast, Kiam. 
And it, well, that's the question that he's put up to the next guest. And it was, um, if you were to start a startup in another industry that's not fintech, what would it be? It would be, I mean, I've never thought about this, but I have a very strong feeling because I always think about, okay, you know, when I'm done with this, when I'm done with fintech, like, what does my retirement life look like? And I, I think that I would like to do something in the, like something like really, really left in the hospitality space. I really, like I mentioned, I'm actually like my, in my natural state, I'm like a big extrovert and I love hosting and I love having conversations with people about things that people don't typically talk about. I hate small talk. I like, I like delving deep into like the big existential questions of why. And so I used to host these things that we used to call salons where we just talk about all kinds of things, relationships, um, mental health. That's awesome. Um, and I would like to probably do something that combines that kind of like deep dive in terms of interpersonal relations and hospitality, just like hosting. There's something in that space. I can never thought about it, but that, that would definitely be something that um, would align with my personal passions. So, yeah, very random. And can, can I ask you? Oh, what I would do. I, I don't even know what I'm doing now. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure what the startup is going to be. Um, I don't know. I've been, I've been pondering around like, like, um, politics and tech and like what the future of, um, like in every country, like there's extremism on both ways and like there's a lack of middle ground because I don't think the middle ground makes a lot of sense anymore. In short, so I've just been thinking a lot about like the way like politics is like affected. Sorry, technology has affected politics and like what tech, what politics looks like in Web3, basically. Um, but what that means and what that is, I don't know. <laughs> it's just stuff I've been like thinking about recently, because if we're moving to this like very decentralized world, like that means everything's decentralized. So how do we navigate that is, is where I've been thinking. But to your salons thing, like um, something I do outside of fintech um, is host these kind of. Um, that I mean, they went online during the pandemic, and we've not done them in person since then. But I do work with like charities and organisations, and basically help them like understand like intersectionality over like a main course, a starter main course from dinner. It's kind of similar to the vibe of what you've just said, actually. That's amazing. So what, what, what kind of people do you do that with? We've done both. So we've done corporates, we've done charities, we've, we've done, yeah, we've done a whole different range. And it's very interesting, actually, because depending on the sector, the... No, it sounds, it sounds incredibly interesting. <laughs> yeah, you get some really, like, yeah, if, depending on who you're talking to, what sex and all these things, uh, the answer is different. But we don't do more than like eight people. Even that is pushing it a little bit. Because you want to be able to have a conversation. You want people to be able to feel open. Um, but the last one we did, we did it with a charity. It was like a, um, it was like researchers. It's a kids charity, but it was with their researchers who kind of help a lot with like different people in foster care and stuff. But their researchers wanted kind of like a better idea of, I guess, just understanding different identities and stuff. And that one was incredible. It was really, really good. And a lot of people kind of like, you know, thought about their own spaces. So. I really wow. enjoy that when I do it. Wow, that Good. sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to move on to our quick fire session now, actually. So I'm going to ask you like 10 questions. I'm actually going to ask you 11 because I'm really curious about one of the questions. I'm adding a question in, basically. <laughs> so, yeah. Are you ready? 
Yes. So if I was to give you 10,000 bananas and um, you're not allowed to sell them or eat them or give them away, what would you do with them? Maybe turn them into a desk. <laughs> into a desk? <laughs> That's so random. I've got no idea what I would it's do. It's so random. I just, maybe I try and, I don't know, try them out and maybe see if I can use them to build something. I don't know. Okay. Sure. Yeah. All right. Um, what is your favorite type of cheese? Um, brie. Same. Uh, would you rather live your entire life in virtual reality where all your wishes are granted or just um, live your normal real world life? Normal real world life. Can I explain? I was uh, because I realized something about life. If things are always going your way and everything is always happy, you actually don't appreciate it. And in as much as like the down seasons of life feel painful, they actually help us to appreciate the goodness, the wins, like joy. Without that kind of like the oscillations, you you don't really have an appreciation when good things happen. So I, I would definitely choose normal life. <laughs> That's such a nice answer. <laughs> would you rather have one wish granted today or 10 wishes granted 20 years from now? One wish granted today. Would you rather have a pet goat or a pet chicken? A pet goat. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want one either, but I feel that I could probably sell a goat more, <laughs> more than I could sell a chicken. <laughs> sell it? You want to sell your pet? Yeah, I don't, I'm not really into either of those pets. would you rather take a pill a day for nutrients and feel full but never eat anything again or eat whatever you want but never really feel full but when i get fat i think it's the most important question let's say no yeah let's say no oh god this is really hard actually this one i really like food i like love food (laughs) i love food so much that this is a really I guess I would. I guess I would eat whatever I want, without. And never feel full. I think so. I think so. What would you do? What would you do? Um, I think I would do the same because I like food and I really like cooking, but it would be very irritating to always kind of be a little bit hungry. I know it really would be, but then it would also be like tragic to not eat food. Yeah, and just eat a pill like that seems so dead. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think I would just be hungry all the time what would the title of your autobiography be i was here i was here oh i thought it was gonna be like something tinder (laughs) (laughs) no actually i've been asked this question before when i was in university and i had to think think about it and there's a song by beyonce called i was here and um and it and 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 there's there's a line of song that goes i'll live my life so that when i leave they will know I was here. So that the, like living a life basically of impact that touches the lives of other people, even if it's only one person, just let one person know that I was here. Let my life have impact for at least one person so that somebody knows when I'm gone that I was here. I think it's- That's so nice. You're, you're very like philosophical in the way you, you're taking these questions. Like, yeah, that was really cheap. Nice. I thought about I thought about that before. <laughs> okay, you, you, you had that one before. Okay, fine. Um, would you rather travel the world for a year on a shoestring budget or stay in only one country for a year but live in luxury? Does that make sense? Yeah, I would choose I would choose the latter. Especially because 
um, I like, I'm like that very annoying person. My sister calls me a killjoy. I actually really don't like tourism. I really like people. And so no matter where I am, I can like have the time of my life as long as I can always talk to new people and just ask them questions and just like find out what they're up. Yeah, that's my thing. So I could literally, if I could just like be very comfortable and happy, I I would be happy to explore one per one place and just know that I could just like delve deep into different people. Yeah. What about if it's like Iceland that gets like really like don't they not have um yeah, sunlight that, that, for like that, most of that, the would be, that, would be, that would be really hard I totally think <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think like I follow this girl on TikTok who lives in Iceland and actually it looks great I mean but yeah like literally it's pitch black and the thing is I'm saying that and I live in England like it's literally getting dark right now it's three it's nearly 4pm so yeah but but there are times when it's 11pm and it's light outside so I know. you know you know Okay, fine. Yeah, I'll let you have it. Yeah, live in a country for a year. Um, would you rather be able to teleport or to read minds? Read minds. Um, would you rather have a personal chef or a personal trainer? I'm thinking really hard about this. <laughs> Can I explain? Can I explain why? Go on. The reason I'm being so out about this is because I'm that really annoying person where if you ask me what you want to eat, I never know. So with the chef, tell me what to eat or would I have to tell the chef what to make that's like a deal breaker oh my god <laughs> um, oh my god you are overthinking these questions <laughs> I'm gonna say that because it's your personal chef it's give or take so like the sh- if you want the chef to tell you what like the chef can give you suggestions but you also can tell them like I want to eat whatever today no I think I'd take the personal trainer the personal trainer okay cool you, <laughs> do you want them to tell you what to eat yeah I kind of just like want them to know what I what I don't know oh my god <laughs> oh my god I just want you to know why I'm angry <laughs> would you rather have all your meals prepared for you but you don't get to choose the dish oh yeah oh fantastic yeah or sleep eight hours a night but you don't get to choose your bedtime no de- definitely the former yeah I could have predicted that (laughs) yeah Yeah. also not being able to choose your bedtime is also kind of torturous yeah for sure it's really inconvenient Mm -hmm. actually yeah that last question (laughs) the answer is very obvious (laughs) why would you want to just fall asleep like that would be very very inconvenient just in the middle of something you're sleeping nah um, yeah. Well, anyways, that is the end of our quick fire session. What was the question that you added? Oh, it was the banana one. I was just curious about your thoughts on the banana one. That was that was wild. I don't know. It's really interesting because I remember um, when I was I, when I was in preparing to go to uni, there was a banana question for Oxbridge preparation the interview, and I just it was like that banana question stumped me. I can't remember what is like. What does it mean to be a banana or something weird? <laughs> it's just like, yeah. Um, so I think I had PTSD from that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. PTSD from strange banana questions. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, my thing was that I would um, create like an exhibition and like the exhibition Ooh. would like out the bananas. And it would either be about like. Oh, that's actually brilliant. That's brilliant. 
you can even do like performance art with the bananas like oh that sounds <laughs> like women eating bananas and it gets flinged on everyone something yeah. you know yeah I, awesome. I don't know i think the exhibition would be on like either on evolution or or about like a, a, like a conversation about like human weight like how much food we waste or something i don't know i haven't really thought of this Mm, mm. Oh, definitely a much better use of the bananas yeah do you know what i actually put it on like my dating profile just because i was curious <laughs> what app Wait, on. i like very much i'm a proponent of the apps as you know so i downloaded hinge and then i thought i'm gonna ask people about this banana question but one of i got such a fintechy answer so this is this is relevant to this podcast and someone said I would I would issue a banana coin on a DLT ledger backed by bananas as collateral, then open a central banana bank. Banana tokens redeemable for frozen bananas. Banana tokens used for governance of the ecosystem and also can be wrapped as an ECC20 token to generate trails in perpetual pools with power leverage utilizing the Traces Phi protocol. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just I was like they definitely sound like they thought about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, okay, cool. It's like, do you work in fintech? <laughs> do you work in crypto? <laughs> uh, did, 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 did he obviously the person did right? Yeah, yeah, he did. He did, he did yeah, it's like quite. Who else would say such an answer? <laughs> but I was like a banana token. Okay, yeah, I've got one last question for you, and then I feel like we're. Uh, we're finished. So who's a friend that you think we should be highlighting for this podcast? Oh my gosh. Does that could be a man or a woman or anybody? Anybody, whoever. Or you can say more than one if you prefer, if you like. Two people who are fantastic friends and even more impressive founders in my ecosystem in Nigeria. One of them is a gentleman called Dolapo. He is the co-founder of Traction Apps, and they build tools for MSMEs in Nigeria, so payments, lending, management tools for MSMEs in Nigeria, and they're doing an incredible job. And then the other person that I would like to recommend, she is the founder of a fintech platform and a finance um, focused edtech platform called Money Africa. So the fintech platform is a robo advisory, a robo advisory solution called Ladder, and she is brilliant. Um, she runs a um, a platform, an edtech platform with two hundred thousand people, teaching people about how to invest and manage money and save and budget and grow wealth. And they're both phenomenal, Zlapo and Tosin, both phenomenal entrepreneurs building great things in Nigeria. So I would recommend the two of them. Awesome. We're going to, I'm after this, I'm definitely going to get their details. That is amazing. Thank you so much, Desi, for coming on the Hey Fintech Friends podcast. This has been a riot. I had so much fun speaking to you, especially on your birthday. Like what a treat for me. Um, thank you yeah, so thank much. You so it's much. been lovely yeah. talking to you. Signals is our paid subscriber reads. And I'm going to read you a snippet from one of the latest articles written by Des Fleming. Virgo's Rich Kane on fintech and entrepreneurship. We're talking with Richard Kane, CEO and co-founder of Virgo. Virgo, as Rich tells it, is a financial platform for businesses in the construction industry to run their finances. Rich wants to ensure that the construction industry, 
a industry worth two trillion in the US is armed to the teeth with software that helps their businesses save time, reduce complexities, and create more efficient money movement in a highly capital consumptive industry. To read the rest of this article, please subscribe to the This Week in Fintech newsletter. Mm-hmm.